This is uh, KYRS 88.1, 92.3, Medical Lake Spokane. And you're listening to Art Hour. And today we're uh, very honored to have a guest, Melissa Cole and her husband, Brandon Cole, um, two diverse artists, but uh, very interesting and well-traveled. Uh, we could probably spend two hours on this show. Um, so we're going to try to work this into an hour, maybe Maybe I have to have them come back if we <laughs> run out of time. But anyway, welcome, Melissa and Brandon. Thank you. Thanks very much. Oh, and I am your host, Mike Malsom. And, and I'm your other host, Eric Woodard. There we go. So um, Brandon is a marine photographer as well as a marine biologist. And Melissa Cole, I think, started out as a marine biologist Correct. as well. And is now, uh, you know, probably one of the, the best known, certainly regional artists here in Spokane, uh, both with her um, uh, community art projects as well as her local paintings, which are, you know, very popular and high selling here. So I guess to get started, um, how did you two meet? <laughs> We met um, in Mexico, actually. I was a naturalist guide. I was taking people out to see the gray whales, and Brandon was visiting, and I actually didn't pay any attention to him at first because <laughs> I thought that he was one of those guys going out for the marlin. He had his cooler, and I thought he was a big game fisherman, and it turns out that he was hiding his cameras away in those coolers, and so when I talked to his wife's um, friend about why they were there, she said, well, they're photographing humpback whales in Mexico and I said oh I want to talk to him because that's what I was mostly interested in. I was uh, trying to be all business and very suave and I gave her a business card before yeah. I hightailed it out of there so we had very little contact um, only spoke with each other for a few minutes actually um, I was and I still am very focused while in the job so um, although I immediately realized Melissa was a very interesting person and, um, you know, I was in the, the work mode, in the mindset. So um, I was always busy preparing cameras and trying to get out of the hotel as quickly as possible to get back in the field. So it's pretty interesting because it, it very easily could not have happened. <laughs> and how many years ago was that? Very close to 23. It oh, is. Man. We uh, have our 23rd anniversary on the 1st slash 2nd of May. Oh, that's, yeah, that's coming right. up. So I know to get this thing started, but um, obviously the marine life, marine, the whole ecology of uh, um, the marine world, marine ec ecosystem is a, a big influence, not only in your art, Melissa, but you, you're a photographer of that and been doing that for many years. So maybe I'll just start with Brandon. Um, have you always been interested in that? What got you turned on to marine life, to be a marine biologist, and then, then yeah. to be a photographer? Though? I've always been interested in, in wildlife and nature in general. Um, and, you know, going back certainly uh, to when I was a few years old, um, always interested in critters. Um, asking questions about dinosaurs and animals and probably driving my parents, you know, a little bit crazy with that. But mm -hmm. I was a voracious reader, um, didn't watch a lot of television. So this mainly came from um, just reading books and asking questions and then actually being out in nature. I wasn't scuba diving at age three, but I know I was collecting, you know, all sorts of animals. And luckily my parents fostered 
uh, interest in the natural world and, and, you know, being outdoors and things like that. Um, but it was probably about uh, age five, six, seven when um, uh, Jacques Cousteau kind of entered uh, my life and the adventures and these crazy stories and the unusual, you know, sea monsters and the adventure of being below the waves, kind of like um, being an astronaut, but I thought a little more accessible um, because oceans and lakes and everything, you know, I could see them, I could touch them, I knew where they were. Uh, so that was a big um, early influence. Um, during uh, high school, um, you know, biology was my focus. Um, it wasn't marine biology here in Spokane. It was just <laughs> biology. It was a general biology. Um, but I made the decision to, um, to pursue marine biology in a great place right next to the ocean and also pursue pre-med in case marine biology didn't pan out. Um, so because I was committed to try uh, marine biology, I had to look, you know, outside Spokane area, and I ended up in uh, UC Santa Barbara, uh, right on the coast, mm. and that's where I began my uh, marine biology training. When did you take your first dive? Um, I took a couple of, I guess, non-official, non-certified dives when I was 12, but... Um, uh, that wasn't in any formal setting and without, you know, all the training that, uh, you know, later I would undergo. So um, part of moving uh, from Spokane um, to Santa Barbara, California, was to be in a place where I could pursue this pretty much year-round. And so I became certified um, immediately upon um, uh, arriving in Santa Barbara and then scuba dived all through college and have not stopped. So I'm now approaching approximately my 10,000th dive and probably, you know, <laughs> 30,000 hours underwater <laughs> or oh in the goodness. water, you know, playing around. And then a lot more than that just on a boat, you know, looking for whales and stuff like that. So um, the sea has been, you know, the main part of my life for 26 years now, 30 years if you include school. Wow. Now, Melissa, you also dive, but did you, were you, um, diving at the time you had met Brandon, or did that come afterwards? No, I was. I was actually pursuing it as a career at that time. Oh. I um, only had a, a few art classes while I was in school. I went to school in zoology and marine ecology at Oregon State, and I always loved animals, too, growing up. I grew up in India and Hong Kong and London, but in India, I used to chase the lizards around, and um, <laughs> we lived right on the ocean, so I spent a lot of time. My father loved to swim, and so we were in the waves quite a bit, and in college, after all of the different um, physical education classes, I ran out of, you know, volleyball and tennis and all of those. They had scuba diving, so I took that is one of my PE classes and I had a crazy Navy SEAL teacher who and I was the only girl in the class and um, I became a really good diver because of him and uh, I learned to dive on the Oregon coast where you couldn't see anything but you could get a lot of crabs and um, I went into the Peace Corps after I was done with college in environmental education and I was able to scuba dive while I was in the Dominican Republic and then I was done with that I went and moved to St. Croix the Virgin 
Fidget Islands and became a dive master there and worked oh. as a scuba diving guide. And then I also worked as a scuba diving guide in Mexico when I was a naturalist guide. So when I went Brandon, I had already been diving for quite a while too. That's a very good thing, Mike, because <laughs> the kind of work we do, um, traveling a lot and, you know, we travel together a lot, but there are times where I won't see Melissa for six weeks. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, and when we're on assignment, when we're on the other side of the world, um, it's hard work. It's not just vacation and, and uh, getting up late and, you know, having a late breakfast and going for a little <laughs> swim. You know, it's, it's yeah. work. And so it's really, really important that we both understand what it takes. And I didn't, I never felt like I was dumping this difficult, uncertain career you know, on to Melissa. And likewise, you know, we both already understood what it was like to be roughing it out in nature, you know, uh, for long periods of time, long hours, you know, no set meals. We both understood the commitment um, required. And that was great because I've met a lot of uh, uh, colleagues over the years um, whose partner, spouse, friend, didn't really share that level of commitment to wildlife or to travel um, to an uncertain lifestyle, and that's really hard to, you know, to maintain a relationship when the two people aren't kind of eye to eye in that. So I was so thankful that I didn't need to explain what I did. Melissa already understood. <laughs> when you talk about, oh, you go, Melissa. Now the only thing that changed was I wasn't used to being a dive model underwater. I was ah. used to doing whatever I wanted to do, <laughs> and so to actually have to go round and round in circles and look pretty and have my hair back and not have my eyes crossed or not be blowing bubbles in the, the pictures—that was a whole new thing. But <laughs> the good thing was is that I was already really comfortable with the water, and so it didn't take too long before we came up with all of our symbols that we use underwater and and it's really a pleasure to do it now I it's taken us all over the world and I enjoy doing it and um, I still love diving as much as when I first started because it really is like being in outer space you can move 360 degrees and I love being able to breathe and move underwater I love it as much as I always have one of Melissa's greatest strengths um, to being part of my business in this life is her uh, her knowledge of the marine life. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, she can interpret behaviors of fish and whales and dolphins, but she's also very uh, brave and curious. So she wants to be right next to the manta ray or the crocodile in, you know, Cuba or, you know, stingrays <laughs> no. and things like that. So um, we both, um, you know, we, we understand the, the love and the interest, uh, and it's just natural to explore and 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 to interact with marine life and um and and want to go to the other side of the world to see what's what's over there well and that was the question i was going to ask what does that look like as far as logistically how often are you in town how many times do you travel out of town how often melissa do you travel together uh i mean this it sounds like a a very uh uh kind of a, a fun lifestyle it sounds like a, a an exotic lifestyle I mean it sounds like it you're not staying put too much because it's kind of hard to do what you do in Spokane so what does that look like 
Well, it's pretty busy. We used to travel even more when we first got married. I mean, sometimes it was 265 days a year. Oh. Um, but wow. we're gone between <laughs> four to six months a year a lot of times. Um, we're home in between because my art business has grown quite a bit. And so I don't go on as many trips as I did. But I do go on the majority of them, I would say, two-thirds or more of the trips. Because a lot of the photographs that are published, they really would like to see a human interacting with the animal animals and things like that. So many of the articles that are published for scuba diving magazines or outdoor magazines want to see human interaction. And so I am a big part of um, our partnership and I enjoy going there doing different things. But it's a little bit hard sometimes to juggle. And although everyone thinks it's really glamorous, it is very <laughs> fun to travel all over and see lots of different things. I would not say it's glamorous because we are dragging you know, huge 50 pound bags of camera gear, trying to keep that safe. You know, it's not easy on the back, that's for sure. <laughs> and um, and we're in rough conditions sometimes, you know, where we don't um, have what we need all of the time or camera gear is breaking down. And it can be stressful when you have assignments and you're trying to get that. You're certainly not waking up in the morning and having a margarita. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say, um, I've seen a few pictures, you know, posted through the past years. You remember that show, Wild Kingdom? Oh, yeah. Mutual and of Omaha. In, in Mutual of Omaha. And the one guy would be sitting back while the Jim or whatever his name was out Jim there. Jim was out there risking Grappling life. with <laughs> the, the, you know, the wild wildebeest or whatever. Yeah, but yeah. I saw one picture that just uh, kind of really freaked me out with you, Melissa. And I was thinking of Brandon back there, you know, pitching uh, Mutual <laughs> Omaha Insurance. While you're with like this huge, either it was a... a huge python or a boa constrictor it was an anaconda in oh Brazil. my goodness so have you had any like close encounters of the of, of the bad kind uh, with any of the marine life you been? know for me it really isn't the animals I've had only the good kind I um, I'm not scared of them I've never had animals um, act threatening towards me and I know it can happen but you can really gauge whether something's being frightened or scared of you underwater and I'm more scared of um, you know a a strong current or being left behind by a boat, things like that. I have gotten to see some amazing and dangerous creatures. I've been, you know, with crocodiles in Cuba and anacondas in Brazil and with tiger sharks. But for me to be able to see those big predators in the wild, um, we're in controlled situations for the most part. And if things got dangerous, we would, we would get out of the water. But I've been, I just feel super lucky to have been able to see some of these creatures so that's oh. not what bothers me yeah i mean i most people would just go well, what is that going to be like i i think a lot of it has to do with uh, the the research we've done you know the fascination which has been lifelong um you know we were memorizing facts and about this animal and you know this is it's new every time we go in the water but at the same time we go with with foreknowledge we go with you know an understanding um that is greater than somebody who hasn't dedicated their life to this lifestyle and to wildlife so um the the danger is there there's certainly and you can't minimize you cannot disregard that um but statistically um my life which involves basically lots of scuba diving lots of time in a boat, or home in my office in Spokane is safer than the person who commutes downtown to sell insurance. 
it's far more dangerous to drive 30 miles a day than it is to swim with sharks, statistically. You know, I've Spoken had, like a true scientist. I've had exactly <laughs> one aggressive uh, shark uh, incident in my career, and that was predicated by my, I guess, over-eagerness. I pushed a shark's personal space, um, and it reacted. It responded. Um, but, you know, for the most part, the danger is in tripping, you know, while walking down the dock to get on the boat. Um, you know, it's not uh, being underwater in proximity of more eels and manta rays and, and even sharks. Does, does marine life, I know certain people have uh, an affinity of working with animals and animals seem to sense that. Is that the same true for marine life? I mean, or, or not? I, I would say so because you can see if something is acting aggressive or if it's um, scared of you, those kinds of things. I mean, the way that the media portrays sharks a lot of times isn't the way that they really are because humans underwater are these big bubble-blowing creatures. They make a lot of noise, and we actually have to put chum or bait in the water to get sharks anywhere near us in order to try and get photographs of them. So it's quite a bit different. When I swam with tiger sharks, I was scared to get in the water, but once it happened, they moved so slowly and they actually made eye contact with you. And when you look directly at them, they would veer away from you. And so they they react like any other animal. They're not just a big predator. Uh, you know, they are a predator, but they're not um, a big machine like as being shown in a lot of movies. They're tremendously adapted and capable in their environment. We're the strangers. Um, and... Uh, they haven't lasted for 400 million years without knowing, you know, what to do. And, and their, I guess, protocol when something is unusual and strange to them is to be very wary. So um, the idea that, you know, somebody jumps into the water and every shark within, you know, thousands of miles comes right to them, that's completely false. And it, it's one of the difficult things about my work is that sometimes my photography will be used to convey messages both good and bad. So um, I hope that, um, and, and I, I try and actively be a part of the messages and the information conveyed. You know, education is a big part of, of what we do. Um, but, you know, sometimes pictures are used to uh, convey, you know, fear and risk and, and all that. Uh, pictures have been used to advertise, um, you know, great white sharks and Shark Week and things like that. So, um, you know, it's, the, the, the role that we play, we've been given this great opportunity um, to bring uh, the oceans and marine life, you know, to people that don't have that opportunity to experience it firsthand. And, you know, there's responsibility there to, to share the right kind of information, the right kind of experience. Um, and that's really important to me. I mean, Melissa does it not only with her work with me, but also in the work she does with her art in talking to students and other artists and communities about the importance, um, you know, that our place in environment. Uh, some of your recent paintings, um, you know, mm -hmm. have been very environmental in, in focus. So, Brandon, to get a little bit more into your work, because I don't think uh, very many people would understand really the career you have chosen and what, what all that entails, you know, I mean, uh, you arguably would spend more as much time 
underwater than you do above water in some ways. I'm certainly thinking about the underwater (laughs) realm even when I'm above water. So, are you more comfortable underwater than you are above water, or is that? Um, I I I do find great comfort in underwater most of the time, but you can bring your frustrations, you know, beneath the waves. So. You know, I could be having a bad day because my computer's broken on the boat or the resort, and that will follow with me, you know, beneath the waves. But usually it's the marine life, it's the otherworldly experience, then I kind of find my happy place. I enjoy not being, um, you know, forced to, to carry on meaningless, you know, prattle and small talk. I like, you know, silence. I like the ability to absorb you know, the color and the motion and, you know, the, this beauty and, and the complexity of the marine world. So um, I'm quite comfortable underwater. And when there's a problem or when something isn't right, it's usually just my brain working overtime. And that's where the job, um, you know, kind of kind of needles in because I have to be, I can't just go down there and enjoy everything and, oh, this is great. Look yeah. at how pretty the dolphin is. <laughs> um, the only way this is a self-perpetuating, self-sustainable career is to, you know, make it work. And, and the work involves making the pictures, writing articles, contacting clients, maintaining an office, all those things which are part of, you know, many other careers. So I have these two very different parts of my business, um, but you can't succeed with only one or the other. Um, so I spent a lot of time sitting in front of a computer, you know, captioning pictures, contacting clients, organizing paperwork, invoicing. And that is something that, that, ver- that people they don't even want to hear about it because they just like the stories about adventure. And, mm-hmm. and thankfully, there's a lot of that. It's a very rewarding uh, lifestyle. But there's a lot of the, you know, the ho-hum and the, the, the boredom behind it. How did you make that transition from, you know, you went to be a scientist yeah. and then now you're a, a freelancer, you know, you're hustling, you are, you had to learn obviously that, I mean, underwater photography is probably not the easiest thing. How did you make that transi- uh, uh, transition from one to the other? I, luckily, I think I've always been a practical person. And um, as um, I continued my uh, marine biology in, in college, I was thinking, well, gee, what am I going to do, you know, after the first degree? Um, I can continue in education. I can continue uh, for a Ph.D. And so that was that was part of my plan. But I wasn't really sold on being in academia forever. As much as I love learning, um, you know, asking questions and then rooting around to find the answers about why an animal does this or why does it live here or, you know, how does it interact with that, Um, I was pretty certain I didn't want to be in academia. So I had to think of kind of an offshoot to take the skills I had learned, which is basically a bunch of critter lore. You know, (laughs) this fish lives here, and it grows to this size, and eats that. Um, But take it, you know, on a different path. And I was lucky enough to meet an underwater underwater photographer um, by the name of Norbert Wu, while I was working as a researcher, um, an underwater researcher, um, and he was shooting a story for Geographic, for National Geographic. And this was kind of the first time I saw somebody with marine background. He also was a marine biologist um, originally, um, but now working as a photographer. And that opened 
it kind of opened mm. some doors. I started to think, well, gee, you know, what's most important to me? It's it's being in the ocean. It's interacting with wildlife. It's not, you know, opening the book and reading. That's an important part. But that, that wasn't what really would drive me. So I started to ask questions. How do you do this? How do you make a living doing this? And And it took a few years to actually, I guess, gather up the courage to say, I'm going to give it a try. I have no background in art, none. No background in photography, absolutely none. I love wildlife. I love traveling, but I was not compelled to take a picture of it, ever. So the photography is the, is the difficult part, the, frust the really frustrating part, because photography is a, you know, it's, it's metal, it's silicone, it's computers, it's, it's not organic. Um, and even though I always consider myself a scientist, a, a math guy, um, what I'm trying to do here is go beyond that um, to, to create art or, or to entertain. And learning how to use a camera proficiently um, was much, much harder than, than learning about the critters because I do not dream about cameras. I do not, <laughs> I, I, I didn't study photography. I don't, I'm not driven as an artist in that way. I'm a biologist who is trying to still 26 years, you know, into the job, trying to make it um, as an artist. So this is where I'll get Melissa's opinion a little bit. So I, you know, looking at your book, um, Real Life, right? Is Reef Life. Reef Life, yeah. Um, which is an amazing book. I'll bring it over to your house one of these days, Eric. But um, I would say he's he has crossed that line into, I think many of those photographs are very artistic. Um, you know, so just saying you have no art background doesn't necessarily mean, I really think they are very artistic. Um, do you get any help from Melissa in terms of, when you run all of your film through the computer or the software and, <laughs> and looking at, you know, just any of the balance, the design of that? I ask Melissa's opinion all the time. Um, because uh, not only just to get another perspective, another brain, another set of eyes, but also to have an artist's opinion, you know, their thoughts. Because Melissa grew up being able to paint, you know, sculpt, do those things. I don't have that skill. So I have tremendous envy and admiration for somebody who has that inside of them. Uh, so Melissa's been a huge influence on, on that transition and probably has given me, you know, subtly confidence to, to think more along the lines of turning a fish picture into something that is more approachable or more relevant or, or impacts people um, in a more artistic or interesting you know, uh, way. He always argues with me because he doesn't think he's artistic, but I've actually watched him, you know, evolve and grow over the many, many years mm -hmm. we've been married. And um, photography has changed now so that you don't have to have everything perfectly sharp and exactly aligned you know your people are interested in seeing um, blurs and you know differences in colors and all that of those kinds of things and so um, I think 
like his eye has become more artistic as the years have gone on and and it's been fun you know to be right next to him while he's photographing things and then come back and see what they look like later I think it's just an amazing thing to be able to do now this is the part that probably most people don't realize when people think oh what a glamorous career but um, I remember having a conversation a while back that sometimes it's not like you go in and, and all of the fish and wild, wildlife know, okay, Brandon's here, let's all go on stage <laughs> and perform. It's like sometimes it, it takes a lot of patience. You're in the water for hours and hours kind of waiting for that one shot. Is that true? Yeah, or on a boat waiting to get in the water or yeah. on land waiting to get on the boat to get in the water. Um, you're very dependent on the weather and conditions and things like that. So it is anything but studio photography. I might say that the ocean is my studio, mm. um, but uh, I'm reliant, I'm dependent on all sorts of natural things being part of the equation. I cannot, you know, get the fish to look right, to, you know, the wind doesn't <laughs> blow, cheese. there's no wind generator <laughs> to get the hair blowing. I'm friends with photographers of all stripes, folks who work in studios, folks who work with people, you know, product photography, business photography, and much of what they do can be redone. Let's try it again. Let's try it again. Think of the way movies are made, the way television is made. You have professional actors. You have makeup artists. You have all this stuff. You control the, the amount of light, the wind, you know, that. In nature, there's very little you can control. Really, the only thing you can control is how much time you're willing to put into it mm -hmm. and the settings you choose on your camera. Other than that, you have to wait for things to develop, for the animals to, to show interest or, or whatever, the light to change, the water to clear up. Um, so there is so much that, that you can't directly control. You have to learn patience and you have to be ready to pounce on the opportunity because you can't ask the, you know, you, I might be able to ask Melissa to swim past the coral again, but I can't, I can't ask the sun, you know, the sun to come through the trees yeah. into the water to illuminate, you know, the fish in such a way. Mm -hmm. You have to be ready. You have to be prepared, then be ready, recognize it, and then, you know, and execute. Um, I, I've always been so jealous and envious of, of the photographers who can create on demand, because that's not me, um, and Melissa's ability to create something magical out of nowhere. I mean, she sits down, you know, with a blank canvas, and things happen. I can stare at a computer screen trying to figure out how to string two words together for an article and massive, massive word block. Hmm. Or I travel across the world, it's El Nino, the whales are thousands of miles away. Or I sit in Australia for one week in a cage, 12 hours a day, waiting for a great white shark to show up. None do because oh, the water's too warm. I cannot produce. You know, I can't create on command. Melissa has this, this wealth, you know, this font of, of inspiration. And I know it's difficult. And sometimes it flows and sometimes it doesn't. But she can create in her studio regardless of whether or not it's, you know, raining or snowing or time of year, mm -hmm. and it doesn't matter if the fish are there or not. You know, she can make the fish. She can bring the, you know, the sharks to her canvases and her projects. When we get back from a trip, sometimes he gets really 
um, jealous of me because he says, oh, man, I wish I could have made that happen when we were there because I'll create this beautiful landscape with the fish exactly the way they're supposed to be and the coral (laughs) and the sun shining down. And it's just as if he wishes it were. My fish were not pointed in the same direction. (laughs) (laughs) How come that didn't work out? Do you guys have, uh, of all the places... I mean, you've traveled all over the world. I mean, is there a, really a body of water that you haven't dived in? Uh, you know, the, of the major oceans and seas? Yes. Um, there is still a lot to explore. You know, there's there's more frontier beneath the waves than any other place on Earth. Um, so I have more than this lifetime planned out. Places I want to go, animals mm-hmm. I want to see. You know, things I want to experience. What's what's the Moby Dick that you're looking for? What's the um, what's the big one? Well, Moby Dick. I have mm-hmm. been fortunate enough to swim with sperm whales many times, photograph them above and below water. I have not seen an albino sperm whale. There are a few of them out there. Um, I would like to see one. Um, I've been to places where they have been seen a few years in the past. I have seen other albino whales, but not a not not Moby mm-hmm. Dick. Um, the narwhal is another yeah, I was um, say the narwhal. kind of dream creature for me, and that's the smallish whale that has the unicorn-like horn sticking out of its head, and it's found um, in the high Arctic, um, and uh, it's a very difficult animal um, to see, uh, reclusive, and of course because of the habitat, the shifting ice flows and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Um, it's not guaranteed to be at a certain place at a certain time. And even if it was, getting to that place is extraordinarily difficult and expensive. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's one of those things that I'd like to see before, you know, before I finish. Um, hopefully I make some pictures, but you know, for something like that, I think it's more important just to see it for myself, you know, uh, moving, breathing, you know, rather than my colleagues' great high-definition 4K you know, footage, uh, which, of course, gives me the incentive to 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 keep trying uh, mm-hmm. to get there. Other people have seen it. I've seen some things that others haven't. So, um, if you're out there long enough and open to to what's happening, um, you know, the magic's everywhere. Um, mm-hmm. Not necessarily 24/7, but it's there. Um, nature is always amazing. You know? I really wanted to see blue sharks because they've got these great big eyes and they're super sleek. And we went to the Azores off Portugal last summer and I got to see them right up close. So that was one of the things that was on my bucket list. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you guys, is there a, a favorite place uh, for both of you that you've been in the past that you just, you came back going, well, that was such a great uh dive uh, for that extended period of time the beauty of the water and all that it's indonesia i just keep going back to that area i mean i'd like to go to the philippines and where we might go to the solomon islands the whole pacific um area is just amazing but indonesia it's just such a diverse area and you can find little tiny pygmy seahorses that are as small as a grain of rice all the way up to huge big whale sharks and the colors underwater are just phenomenal and so many different textures and layers it just really it inspires my artwork mm. and just being in that warm water and seeing such a buzz of life underwater is it's really amazing I could just keep going back there till I die uh-huh. <laughs> now, you've mentioned multiple times about about the artwork and and you've been inspired to do that how did you make the transition from 
marine biology to artwork and now you're a working artist you're you, I mean that's that's a big part of your life how did you make that transition well, art was always a part of my um, life because my mother is a painter, and so we always had um, art supplies and things at home, and I did it just as part of everyday life. Um, but I loved science, too, so it was a bit of a struggle trying to figure out what to go to school for. I went back and forth, but uh, zoology is what I ended up in. But when I was in the Peace Corps, I was you know, carving gourds and painting um, big murals in schools, in educational schools. Um, and then when I was working as a naturalist guide, I painted our whole dive shop with all of the fishes of the Caribbean. And so I always did it, but it wasn't until I moved to Spokane and had a little more time that I started um, just painting for fun. I was actually reading Julia Cameron's The Artist's Way at the time, and she had some little um, sketches on what to do to be a more creative person. And so I was doing some pastels and some watercolor and Brandon said, wow, you're good at that. You should keep mm -hmm. doing that, which was really nice to have someone, you know, pushed me towards that and so um, I just was hanging out in Four Seasons coffee shop and asked if I could hang some of my smaller paintings on the walls. I started taking um, some of my small paintings and creating making them into cards and selling those and so little by little um, I was able to start earning little bits of money and I bought um, Art Marketing 101. It's a true book and it <laughs> helped me and I started going after um, gallery openings and things like that. Um, I was really lucky to get a job and start working with um, some of the kids downtown to paint some of the murals um, and I really enjoyed that because it reminded me of the Peace Corps where you're working with a community in order to create one big piece of work and so I um, got the job at the in River Park Square, which is a small mural, and then also um, at the convention center where I was using a lot of different media. I was working with mosaic and copper and clay and paint. And to be able to create something from a small drawing into a 25 foot by 25 foot um, big piece of art was sort of addictive. It's really amazing. So I um, just slowly worked into having this as a career, and I'm not sure or how it happened, but I'm so <laughs> lucky that it did because it works really well with our lifestyle because I can work on my artwork and finish deadlines and then we can go away and I'm inspired to create more work when we get home. One thing I, I just like to mention is, um, you know, we've been talking uh, pretty much only about the ocean, but um, Melissa's knowledge of, of wildlife is very broad. Um, my interest in wildlife is very broad. My career focuses on, you know, beneath the waves and marine life, but that's pretty much because you can't do it all in one life. So I, I chose this, but mm -hmm. Melissa's, um, you know, we, we love safaris, we love elephants, we love, you know, all forms of wildlife. And Melissa's able to, to bring all that into her work. Um, so it's, you know, it's, there are so many things we've seen firsthand and even the things we haven't yet seen firsthand, we, we know about. And Melissa can, you know, create this. And, and that's why the art spans pretty much the entire natural world, plus all of the things that she brings in for, uh, you know, cultures and different peoples and patterns and, and things. Some of those are derived from nature. Some are derived from, you know, the art of, of another culture. 
Absolutely. You know, I, my father's from India and I grew up, he was an airline pilot. I grew up in Hong Kong and, and India and I didn't realize how much that had influenced me until I went back and had a show in India. It was about seven years ago and just to see all of the patterns that I use on the sides of their buses and on the concrete walls of their murals <laughs> and things, it didn't make me feel as unique anymore because it really <laughs> did, um, you know, inspire me to create what I create and just our ability to go traveling to different areas. I glean um, colors and textures and patterns from tiles and rugs and building architecture and cobblestones and what other artists are creating. It all sort of makes its way into my artwork and becomes this big global mix. Yeah, and it's pretty amazing. I think that uh, has made a connection certainly with the um, art audience here you know in Spokane you can see a lot of that but. and you mentioned the book Reef Life yeah um, and you have a book that's going to be coming out at Reef some Life point. is um, scheduled to be revised oh okay. um, so that requires more time in the office for me so we're not quite there yet because I have to block out a big period of time to, to mm -hmm. revise it um, but um, Reef Life came about in uh, kind of a, oh, a bit of serendipity um, I uh, destroyed my knee um, on a snowboarding uh, expedition and realized I was going to be home, not in the ocean for a long period of time. And so I said, that's the time to do, to do the book. Because I've been pushing back that sort of thing mm -hmm. for a long time, even though I, my work has been published around the world, you know, hundreds of different publications and books and, you know, billboards and things like that. I hadn't really sat down to create kind of my life, you know, at sea. And, and that book was, was not comprehensive. There's more to it. There's more to the last 26 years. But it was the first major step. Um, and it only happened because, you know, I couldn't, uh, <laughs> I couldn't scuba dive and chase whales for a while. And, and what, uh, what role did you have in making that book? Did you do any of the text? Was there any art? Um, no, I helped choose some of the photographs in it, and I'm in quite a few of the photographs <laughs> in it. So, um, no, it was just really fun to see it because it's almost like a family album right. looking at it because I have been at his side while he's taken those pictures, and it's many of the places that we've been together. And so throughout our years, it was really um, fun to see it come together. Much of that book, many of the pictures, certainly you know, tens of thousands of pictures created have been you know, they're directly, uh, they, they result from Melissa's um, contribution to this whole thing. She finds a lot of the stuff I photograph because, you know, I'm looking at one thing and there's a crab sneaking out from under a coral over here and it's really cool, but she sees it and I don't. So she sees a lot of things. She also, um, uh, you know, will interact with, with marine life. So the book and my portfolio um, has benefited hugely from Melissa's partnership in the water, the partnership with Melissa in the water, but also her support. I mean, that book, to do that book, to sit in Spokane for nine months and do nothing but that book, that <laughs> is tough. <laughs> and it requires, you know, somebody else. I, I, I needed somebody else to say, keep going, keep going. There will be a time when you'll be back in the ocean. We <laughs> <laughs> can um, say, Melissa, when he's home for an, like an extended period of time do you feel the urge to say hey brandon i think you need to be in get in the water 
I don't even need to say it. It's really hard for him to be home for that long. Yeah. He definitely starts getting itchy feet. Yeah. But, you know, yeah. there's a lot that he has to do when mm-hmm. we're home um, because so much of it is digital now. He has to sit in front of a computer and he has to have contact with his clients and things like that. So, unfortunately, that's the way it goes. And so if you're going to make the bacon, you have to be home and yeah. work sometimes. But, no, he'll start to get itchy after I would say probably three weeks at home (laughs) so uh, I said you should take more breaks we need to go on more picnics or you need to read more books or things so that he's not Mm. only working Wow. So you mentioned earlier that, you know, you might have to get Melissa to swim by a reef 12 times to get that photograph. No, it's the current. Yeah, yeah. So so my question is, it, is yeah. there a photograph? And I know that this is asking you out of the 10,000. Is there one that you just said, this was when all the stars align and you got this one where you just said, oh, my gosh, this is the one that I can't believe I got this because everything was just perfect. Um. I think there are many like that because, as I mentioned earlier, things are always changing, you know, in nature. Um, the lighting, the weather, the animals, you know, how many animals are together. Uh, so I'm, I just have to be ready. And, and luckily, spending so much time in the wild holding a camera... Um, waiting, waiting, waiting. I've seen many amazing scenarios unfold. One experience uh, is probably a bit, you know, it, it does come to the, it, it buoys to the top. Um, I was in Mexico um, trying to photograph marlin, uh, you know, the fish with the long mm-hmm. uh, uh, sword-like beak, uh, sailfish and marlin. And I'd tried many times before and usually unsuccessful. Um, But on this one trip, it was only 10 days long. Um, We had perfect weather for, I think, eight of the 10 days. Um, Not only um, did we find the marlin, but we had clear water. The marlin were feeding pretty much nonstop on the sardines. There were dolphins in the area sea lions in the area, and a species of whale. Um, So any one or two of these subjects and or parameters, the conditions alone, would be success. But to have everything come together and then to not bungle all the photo (laughs) opportunities, that's another thing. Because a lot of this stuff happens very, very quickly. Um, You know, I I can't keep up with with a marlin when it's swimming or, you know, a lot of this is moving too quickly. Um, so you just have to be in the right place at the right time, keep trying. But on this one trip, um, I so exceeded my expectations, um, you know, that, that it is kind of, this is when just about everything happened. The stars aligned. I was paying attention. Um, camera was working, you know, uh, that's probably the luckiest scenario um and it was the first time that um photographers i was with a a competitor of mine a good uh, friend and colleague it's the first time that people had actually um documented this species of whale doing this in the midst of all of these other life forms Mm, and it resulted in a national geographic article and and of course a lot of very envious um colleagues because we (laughs) all are paying attention to what uh, you know, the others are doing and somebody gets really lucky, you know, with Marlin in in Mexico or 
um, sperm whales, um, you know, uh, uh, giving birth in somebody captures it in the Azores and, and all eyes and thoughts are, oh, I need to get that, you know, too. Um, but this was one time where I think, you know, I had the spotlight along with a good friend. Um, and, uh, you know, luckily, um, there's always potential for more. So you have to keep trying. It could happen again. And where would be a good place for us to see those photos? Um, those photos have been published many, 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 many times. I think there were 15 or 17 full articles around the world in magazines um, as full articles. Um, uh, Geographic ran a, a story on it. The individual pictures have been used hundreds of times in different ways. Mm. So if you look back in time into um, articles on, on uh, uh, you know, big fish or pelagic fish or in fishing magazines, the cover of fishing magazines, um, wildlife conservation, uh, whale guidebooks, mm. calendars, um, <laughs> you know, the stuff is, imagery is out there and more so now than ever. Um, so it's, it's there. Um, that's what has kept me in business is that we're a very, you know, visual species. We, we consume a lot of visual content. Um, and, you know, if you find the right clients and you have the right pictures, you have the chance to make the connection and share that, you know, mm. with a, with a worldwide audience now. And Melissa, do you have a favorite shoot or photograph or memory where you just say that, 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 that was the one? Well, Magic Mountain, is that the name of the area in Indonesia? That's, uh, it's near Komodo Island, and it's just a beautiful area that has these hanging um, soft corals that were nothing like I'd ever seen before. They would have, they looked almost like red skeletons with yellow fingers around them, and it was just, it looked otherworldly. So that area with the sun dappled coming down, and I was swimming there is one of my favorite areas. I think one of my favorite times was in Dominique and um, we were trying to photograph sperm whales and not having a huge amount of luck um, but Brandon kept getting in and kept getting in and I thought oh I should get in again and I saw him off in the distance and he looked strange he was moving from side to side and and um, and so I jumped in the water with my snorkeling gear on and swam out to him and there was a little baby sperm whale and it was pushing him around and the, oh. the all of the large ones adults had gone down to feed and this little guy was up there little still being 13 or 14 feet, something like that. But he was rubbing up against us because his skin was itchy. And so we got to spend a great amount of time with him. And it was it was really a super amazing, one of my favorite times of my life. Now, is there an environmental or ecological aspect to the work that you do? I mean, you travel all around the world, and, and obviously the climate is uh, something that a lot of people are worried about. I mean, what having been all around the world and seen the effects, is, is there an aspect of that in your work? Absolutely, and I think it's become... Uh, it's become more important to what I'm trying to do and the message, you know, I'm trying to share with people, the types of pictures I take and also what goes along with, with that. Um, there's, you know, we have this opportunity. Melissa and I are able to travel to far-flung, you know, parts of the globe, um, which is both tremendously rewarding and fulfilling. Um, it can also be very depressing um, because, you know, that out of sight, out of mind, 
it's really easy for many people living in a suburbia um, to keep these sort of big problems, you know, at a distance. Um, uh, but if you're in eastern Indonesia, for example, and um, you drop down on what you remembered to be a, a gorgeous coral reef last time you were here, and instead you find just this field of rubble. Um, you know, the effect is very profound because you realize that man, humans, did this. You know, they used dynamite, they used cyanide, um, they destroyed this coral reef um, to, it's like clear-cutting the sea, um, to extract, you know, fish quickly without any concern for the future. So that, to me, I remember what it was like, and I know that, you know, these animals and this environment is a living, breathing part of, you know, of not just Indonesia, but the oceans, you know, impact our weather. They create our weather. Um, we're tied to this. Um, you know, human species is tied to the environment. We have the, uh, you know, we're able to see the amazing and also, you know, the disastrous, um, seeing sharks actually uh, finned where, uh, you know, a fisherman chops their fin off, throws the fin in a bucket, dumps the live shark back into the sea where it will, you know, drown, you know, suffering. Sharks feel pain. Marine life, mm -hmm. you know, feels this. We've seen that, and that's human greed driving that. So the environmental aspect, the changing, you know, sea conditions, um, that means some animals aren't where, you know, they need to be at a certain time of year to spawn, to aggregate, to molt. Um, so we're seeing that, and, and uh, you know, I feel obligated to photograph the, you know, both sides of the, of the environmental picture. Um, we need to have, you know, the pictures of nature at its most beautiful. That inspires. You know, that reminds people, that impresses people, that says, holy moly, I never knew that it was that pretty in the Puget Sound. You know, it's cold and it's dark, but the colors are amazing. So you need to have that. Um, but I think it's also very important for photojournalists, for artists, for scientists to talk about, to share the experiences of, hey, it's not all, you know, roses. Um, there's a lot of stuff that we could be doing better. Um, nature, you know, the planet. Um, is suffering and and we're um, largely responsible for that. Um, so it's weighing on me now more than ever. Um, I feel as if I'm in a race against time uh, for some of these uh, to see some animals, to see some habitats, to see some ecosystems um, kind of at you know in their eleventh hour. It will not be the same in fifty years. I mean, mm. I'm absolutely certain of that as a as a biologist. Um, but also as just a traveler and one who has spent so much time, um, it's very apparent if you look below the surface. I was just going to say the same thing. Sometimes it feels like we are just going as fast as we can to try and see the last of everything, which is mm -hmm. depressing. Yeah. Um, one of the first paintings I did after this last trip to Indonesia was called No Planet B. And um, it has a woman with a, the earth on fire over her head because one of the things we saw were these beautiful, pristine beaches just covered with water bottles mm -hmm. from people, you know, going there to visit, drinking 
everything from water bottles um, and uh, they wash up and it's it's hard to see plastic taking over the world like that and more and more a lot of my artwork is revolving around the environment um, one of the big public works of art that I just did um, at the Moscow Public Library mm. was called Inspiration and Pollination and it's about the plight of the bees and the pollinators and so it has a big mosaic all along the front of the library there and 125 community members worked on it but we were focusing on um, the flowers that help feed the bees and bats and butterflies and all of the different pollinators so we were showing local flowers and then also the pollinators during this it's a good way to try and help the community understand what's going on with the environment and then also have part of the artwork mm -hmm. in it where are already running out of time we could I spend know. another wow. two days i've got so many more questions to ask i really do maybe we could get you guys back after your next trip but in the time we have remaining maybe i'll start with you melissa what do you have coming up uh that you you can promote a little bit uh, with your art. I know you've got uh, a First Friday coming up here I soon. do. Uh, I'm going to be showing um, at the Marmot in Kendall Yards and that's the 3rd of May and it's called New York Connection because I just had a show in New York so I'll have some of the work from that show as well as work inspired by some of the exhibitions I saw there. Frida Kahlo and Andy Warhol and a number of figurative works and I'm also going to be giving um, a lecture and slideshow the night before on Thursday at five o'clock, so that's the second of May, which is our anniversary. Oh, but <laughs> it's in Kendall Yards, and it's right um, in Adams Alley of Kendall Yards, oh. the Marmot Gallery. Yeah, cool. Brandon, what what's? I know you guys. You have another big uh, trip planned, yes. but also um, maybe uh, any future things shows with. Uh, um, Melissa's the one uh, in the. Uh, <laughs> local and and growing spotlight um my work is you know kind of behind the scenes so i don't have the opportunity to mix with uh the community as regularly as she does um my work is out there and people you know read it and hate it or like it or learn something from it or whatever hang it on their wall um but it's really nice to see melissa's connection to um communities and you know, to, to watch her uh, be kind of a leader, um, a group of, you know, kids and adults and, and seniors building a mosaic, um, that's more than enough for me. That's really cool. So I'm, uh, she, she's in charge of the, 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 the public relations. Yeah. Uh, well, I would just say, you know, I would love to get both of you guys back again, maybe after your big trip that you got in, uh, uh, I think, Australia, which we didn't get a chance to get to, but uh, take this opportunity to thank you so much. I know how busy you are to um, be on our show, Eric. Yeah, thank you so much. You're it's welcome. really inspiring. Thanks, you guys. I love it when somebody can just take something that they love doing and turning it into something that they do with their lives, you know? Yeah. It's like your hobby is, is, is also your life and your livelihood, yeah. and I find that Dream inspiring. Dream big, everybody. That's, that's my <laughs> advice, you know? Yeah, There's that's nothing awesome. that you cannot accomplish. You just need to Put yourself to it and make it happen. Work hard. Yeah, thanks, you guys. Very nice to be yeah. on the show. Work hard. Dream big. You know, don't take no for an answer. <laughs> I love go. it. Thanks for coming in. Thank it was really you. nice Our meeting you. Yep, you're Thank welcome. You.